0: welcome to another uh, round the rotary uh podcast thank you everyone for tuning in uh we appreciate it. and uh before we begin i got to say that round the rotary podcast is brought to you by capital petroleum consultants cpc specializes in project engineering well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what cpc can do for you today and uh this uh this podcast we're kicking off on early uh, monday not really early but you know, it's uh, it's 2021, January second week of uh, being productive, so it's early for me. So, we got a uh, Joe uh, Senate uh, on uh, on the other side of the line. You are where are you tuning in from today? I am here in cloudy Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, it's pretty gloomy here today in Houston too. And I guess everywhere in uh, Texas got snow, but Houston yesterday, so that's pretty cool. And uh, Joe is the executive coach, uh, an executive coach in the oil and gas industry, as well as the founder of uh, Winning Partners. And uh, Joe, thanks for coming on today. How, how are you, bud? My pleasure. I'm doing good. I, I'd say uh, we definitely have some figurative gloom ourselves
1: here in Pittsburgh as uh, we're talking here right after the Steelers got—I'm going to say—embarrassed, but
0: uh, I wasn't we embarrassed
1: that. by Cleveland last night. So uh, He's not going to be sharing some semblance of
0: gloom here up in the north. Well, let's take that doom and gloom and kind of, and let's have a positive conversation. Today. How about that? Sounds good, JP. So, Joe, why don't you? Uh, you you messaged me um a couple months back, uh, not a couple months, probably about a month ago, and you mentioned uh, kind of uh your your background, your experience, and uh, and we both thought it was pro- probably good to get you on the show to kind of talk about uh your experiences, kind of uh in the oil and gas industry. And as as we talked about before, this is the first time I'm talking to Joe, and I kind of I really do enjoy these conversations because. Joe and I, this is our first time we've we talked. Is that correct? That is correct. That's correct. And uh, and um, it's 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 interesting because I I enjoy it because it's more of a genuine conversation, I feel like. And I think your experience in the oil and gas industry and how you pivoted in 2019 could probably speak to a lot of our audience right now um, that are kind of looking for the new rules or potentially thinking about um, exiting the oil and gas industry again, which is... If that's that's people's personal decision, and that's fine. That's I, we support that if it's if you got to support your family. So, Joe, why don't you get us kicked off, man? Why don't you tell us about your background and kind of uh, your experience with oil and gas and, and uh, how you, where you're at today? Sure. Well, as far as background, if uh, we go all the way back, I was
1: born and raised in New Jersey. So, uh, what part of coast Jersey? there? Uh, Northern New Jersey, about ten or fifteen miles outside of New York City.
0: Oh, what what part? What's the city? Uh, West Orange is the
1: town. Uh, Newark would be the the reference point for most people. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, I grew
0: up, uh, I grew up in uh, Connecticut, so uh, I'm a Jersey little Springsteen fan, huh?
1: Uh, I, I think I'm contractually obligated to say yes. Yes, Bruce Springsteen yeah. is a talented artist uh, who produced <laughs> much good. No, uh, so yeah, so fellow uh, East Coast person, although of course being from New Jersey, I have the extra distinction of being from the only state right now where you don't pump your own gas, which is an anecdote I usually work in for most uh, conversations with people who haven't met me. Maybe you don't pump your own gas. It is against the law. So uh, every gas station is full service in the Garden State.
0: Is that is that a COVID a code response?
1: No, this is this is a decades long law. I don't know when it popped up, but uh, it's it's been around for certainly okay. as long as I've been around.
0: All right, I dig that anyway.
1: Sorry, go keep on going, keep on going. Oh, no, that's all right. And again, it's, like I said, it's usually something. Uh, it usually comes up at some point when people. You know, start questioning how the heck I wound up in the oil field, being from New Jersey, and I need to stop and uh, point out that yeah, it's it That's why. it doesn't make sense for lots of reasons. Nevertheless, I am here, and uh, I guess the the journey to here came after I left New Jersey, went off to school, uh, went to Notre Dame, studied chemical engineering, chose chemical engineering uh, for a couple reasons. One, I think chemical engineering seemed to be the broadest, at least at the time, of the engineering disciplines. So I figured hey, if I wanted to go to medical school, law school, You know, get an advanced degree, uh, oh, you yeah. know, that option would be there. And quite frankly, I think I assumed that I would probably wind up back in New Jersey working for some pharmaceutical company in some stereotypical chemical engineering role. Right. Not meant to be uh, for, uh, you could probably either blame my grades or, or maybe a uh, lack of quality internships or whatever it was, or, or merely fate. But as it turned out, a company called Schlumberger came to campus threw my application at them. I uh, wound up getting a first interview and uh, one thing led to another and wound up offshore
0: Gulf of Mexico on drilling rigs. Well, what enticed you? But what enticed you about, I guess, uh, applying to Schlumberger? I guess if you're if you're pursuing all these other different uh, industries, like what 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 about Schlumberger coming to campus where you're like, I'll give it a go. It was one of those things where it's like, I need a job regardless of what industry it is or there's something to bring you on? I'd love to
1: say that it was this great thoughtful, intentional decision. But the reality was it was a big career fair. There was a booth. There was probably a short line or they were given something away that was, you know, interesting. And and you know, literally, or I don't want to say through my resume, I'm sure I, I gently handed it to them and and said whatever line I had rehearsed to them before I walked away. Right. And uh when we got to the first interview though, I will say as as things became more clear about what Schlummerger actually was, uh, it was very clear that You know, a role with them would mean some, you know, probably a little bit more adventure than uh, if I did wind up again working in some lab somewhere in in New Jersey or doing something, uh, again, a little bit more stereotypical. So I think for one, once I had some clarity of what it was, it was a sense of adventure. Um, And then once I was in the interview, it was very clear that what they were looking for wasn't a, you know, 4.0 GPA. Ah, uh, stellar resume with all of these these great accolades and and things to you know pat yourself on the back from. It was quite literally somebody who could stay up for, you know, <laughs> a day and a half straight and still function and who had the flexibility and the freedom to go and take a job where, again, you just, you know you don't know what's going to happen day to day. And you know that had appealed to me. I think, uh, taking advantage of the situation was, was a big piece, right? I, I didn't have anything tying me down. I didn't have a, a girlfriend at the time. I didn't have any reason to, to tie myself to you know, New Jersey or, or what was,
0: what was, I mean, I guess growing up in New Jersey then going to Notre Dame, what was your first thought? I guess, once you got on that, I'm assuming it was a helicopter or whatever, a crew, boat, whatever. And you got on that first rig. I mean, I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, so I'm the first generation oil and gas. So it was was very new. Like, it was a different world, but it was fun for me. But what what was your experience, I guess, having this background that wasn't oil and gas, no exposure to it, just suddenly working offshore in the Gulf of Mexico? Uh, It was, I think on the one
1: hand, it was consistent with, you know, blue collar upbringing, you know, you know, neither, neither parent graduated college, that whole story. You know, a lot of people have that same story. So, right. you know, the work I had done the work in the summers, it was maintenance. It was hard work. It was labor, you know? So I think in that sense, it was, it kind of felt right. Like it, it felt more right than probably having a, you know, a white collar job sitting in an office, Right. but in terms of the fun and the adventure, Oh, hundred uh, percent, you know, to your point, you know, took a crew boat out. It was the first rig. I mean, every I mean, I can give you, I, I can paint that picture. There was probably one day of all the days I, you know, spent offshore. And that was probably the it's most vivid memory.
0: Yep. Uh, you
1: know, the staring up, it was jack up rig, you know, it, it was, it was like a scene from a movie, right. At least in, in my eyes, um, you know, is at night, the lights are coming down, it's jack up, you're, lo- you're looking up, you know, they lower the personnel basket down, you throw your bag in the middle, you step on this thing and you're being lifted up. And, and again, it would be very easy for somebody to say, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, you got four year engineering degree from Notre Dame and you're being, you know, hoisted hundred and something feet up in the air onto this rig. So, um, You know, I don't know how clear that thought was, but it certainly, you know, came to pass having conversations with people on the rig who, who, again, were, were pretty quick and blunt to say in no uncertain terms, you know, what are you doing here? How, how did you wind up here? Yeah. So yes, definitely
0: an adventure, JP. I see. I mean, I remember, I remember that first day of getting on that uh, basket as well. It's just days like, I mean, yeah, that was such an experience. I mean, it was, I mean, everything about it anyway. So keep going on. So you're working Gulf of Mexico, Schlumberger, keep going. Yeah, so uh,
1: all offshore. I was a handful of land jobs for the most part. Offshore, mm-hmm. uh, variety of circumstances, situations. You know, deep water, shallow. Uh, towards the end, it was mostly deep water. Um, enjoyed the, I think, enjoyed the service aspect. You know, the okay. sort of the craziness of it. Again, that's kind of what I signed up for, right? I mean, I didn't sign up for for any sort of certainty or regularity. Not that there's any of that in, in the oil and gas industry certainly took advantage of my time and about 3 years in it was time to to move on and you know I'll be honest one of the things pushing me to move on from Schlumberger was the fact that uh, i had actually met someone up here in pittsburgh who was now my wife so um you know that made the decision you know easier to to say you know what 3 years was good experience uh, i don't know what the statistics are these days but i feel like 3 years is is probably at or maybe even above average for for a lot of the new hires they bring on and uh, wound up coming up here to Pittsburgh uh, and started to work for what was then Equitable Resources and then has since become uh, EQT Corporation, which.
0: What role did you uh, switch to at uh, Equitable or EQT?
1: So when I came up, I started off as, you could say, a reserves development engineer. So it was like a quasi, you know, budgeting, planning, you know, a little bit of reservoir, a little bit of reserves. Um, so it was it was that role, but I knew, I knew coming in that I was going to be on some sort of rotation program. Mm-hmm. So uh, they made that very clear in the interview, which again, had appeal, right? You know, I had yeah. the drilling background. It was definitely a huge advantage coming into that environment with that background. But, you know, I also knew I'd get to see some other elements of, of the industry.
0: Okay, so you move up, you move up there. You're at a EQT or a, a, and th- then what?
1: So spent about a year in that first rotation, uh, doing things that were well different for me. Certainly a different environment. Obviously coming from right. uh, offshore to to the office.
0: Did you enjoy that switch from uh, working on a rig to the office life?
1: You know, I don't know if I don't know if I'd use the word enjoy. Um, okay, I think I appreciated one, having had the prior experience, which again, you know, you can't replicate. And quite frankly, once you've left it, it can be tough to go back to. So it's one of those, wow, I'm glad I did that. Not sure that that's for me moving forward. So I I appreciated the shift. I think um, it was, you know, it it was just a different scale, right? I mean, a different level of intensity. Uh, EQT has been, and and I'm sure continues to be, you know, intense as many Oil and gas jobs are, uh, but it was a different intensity. You know, the the last job I was on offshore, I remember distinctly was eleven dollars and twenty five cents a second was the spread rate. You know, that's that's what the company was paying, and you know, I remember that intensity. You got the company man on the rig floor who's you know, staring me down as I'm trying to, you know, finish up the tools before they go down hole, And, you know, that's, that's pressure right there. Oh yeah, Yeah. It's a different type of pressure when you're in an office setting and when, you know, things are a little bit more fluid and, you know, it's, you know, you can come in early, you can stay late, you can kind of do whatever, and you don't necessarily have people breathing down your neck to that degree. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, enjoy. Yeah. I think long-term certainly having that stability has been a huge blessing, uh, but it definitely, you know, was needless to say, it was an adjustment.
0: Okay, all right. So you go up there, yeah, you, you you're, you're doing. So what year did you move up there? So it's two thousand eight. Okay, two thousand eight. All right. So um, so walk me through kind of uh, what led you kind of in your in your current role uh, role today.
1: Yeah. So so two thousand eight. Just for some context, you know, that was just as the Marcellus was, you know, starting to get figured out. I, I think. Right. EQT had maybe six wells uh, in the Marcellus, six horizontal wells in Marcellus at the time. And, and again, they were very much just exploratory. So, you know, EQT's bread and butter at that point was becoming these uh, shallower horizontal wells, you know, on the order of a million dollars a piece in lower Huron, eastern Kentucky, southern West Virginia. So, you know, they were getting into this sort of well manufacturing mode, but the Marcellus right. was still the next thing. So, you know, very fortunate to start at that time. And you know, when I moved out of that reserves development role, I found myself back in drilling. Which it was funny at the time. I was like, "Oh, I forgot. Oh, was that even on the rotation?" You know, I wasn't planning to go back into drilling so soon. So, you know, a year in, uh, went into drilling. Was sort of a conventional drilling engineer, if you will, in terms of you know banging out progs and you know coordinating with folks in the field, uh, serving as company man on occasion, and you know probably the biggest thing in that role that I did for it was about a year and a half that I was in the the role totally. Uh, And then about maybe half of that was on standing up Wellview, which, you know, if you know, is a, you know, daily reporting tool to, to, you know, condense all the daily operations. And, you know, in that role in coordinating that project and working with it and certainly people in the field and other engineers, you know, really gave me a, a chance to, you know, to learn much more than beyond drilling, but actually, you know, the nuts and bolts of how the field and the office were interacting even beyond what I was doing, you know, in my, my, drilling engineer role. So, you know, that was the first taste of one sort of leading a, a cross-functional project, uh, and two, of, you know, starting to build, you know, rapport with the guys in the field who you're going to be pushing this new technology out on and getting their feedback and, you know, you know, we can talk in more detail about some of the stops along the way, but I think you know that was the first sense of hey, you know, forming connections with people, building trust, you know, working from the president of the production company at EQT all the way down to you know, the men and women in the field that are getting the job done and really trying to, you know, form those connections, which I think again, if we fast forward to my role as a coach now was invaluable, but also really kind of set up a, a foundation and a framework for the I don't know half dozen other roles that I held at EQT before, uh, eventually transitioning out of there.
0: Well, going going back to I guess uh, what you were talking about building trust and communication uh, with, with with the people in the field and all that stuff. So, so I know I, we had a Michael Arisby on here uh, before, and he mentioned that he went up to um, to uh, the Marcel's for uh, I guess one of his first roles in Darco, and part of that was I guess when that area started blowing and going, and part of his role was um, I guess communicating to the communities. You know what I mean? Um, it was a uh, a new market for oil and gas industry to be in, um, and you had to. He's mentioned that you had to kind of, uh, I guess, not win the community support, but kind of show the community who the oil and gas industry is, and kind of win the hearts and minds. Did you have any experience, I guess, with the community? Uh, what was the community feeling? I mean, what was your experience coming dealing with the community? Did you have much, uh, much, I guess, uh, uh, proximity to that, or not? Yeah, I did. For, fortunately, I did, because uh, you
1: know, as you state, you know, you're going out to this community. You're doing, you know, newer things, or certainly at, at a different scale than they had been used to. Right. And you know, the EQT community relations department, public relations, government relations, you know, they would have open houses. They would they would send. You know, they love sending young engineers out who can speak to some of the technical things. So you know, I enjoy doing that. I know a lot of others enjoy doing that. And you're you really are going into the communities, and you know, you're answering their their questions, and they appreciated hearing it. I think, from technical folks who, you know, again, whether it was ignorance or not, you know, we're not going to spin things. You know, we're saying, yeah, this is it. Here's the science behind it. Here's why we're doing it. And, you know, to the extent you talk about the the bigger picture and development and economics and why this is important um, and being able to do that and go beyond talking points. Yeah, that was was huge. And and again, it's normal, real human conversations that build trust and allow you to, to, to do your job better, right? And And to do it, you know, with more certainly more support um, than, you know, than you would
0: otherwise. So yeah, I, I did. And, and that, that is critical. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the things that I guess, I guess it's kind of, I've noticed that it's, it's kind of becoming a trend on, uh, on this podcast. And I think it's actually should be a focal point um, of everyone in our industry is how can we as an industry, as individuals, not an industry, but as individuals be better industry advocates. And I think the experiences that you, you, that you you and Rispy and everyone else up there that actually was, you know, doing these town halls, communicating the actual science behind uh, extracting, you know, fossil fuels or hydrocarbons versus these, you know, these camp smear campaigns, whatever you want to call them. I think, I think that's, um I would love to kind of maybe a, a different podcast potentially discuss, maybe get a couple people on to talk about how can we be in better industry advocates from actual experience of, Going to the Mars, going to these communities, and actually discuss it. So anyway, that's that's kind of a tangent that we can get on later on. So anyway, so let's. So you're doing this, you, you're back into drilling, and um, and so walk, walk, continue.
1: Yeah. So like like I said, I, towards the end of my drilling time at EQT, it, you know, it felt more like IT project management, if, if anything, which which again was a valuable experience. Uh, it set me up as I moved on to completions role. So. Completions engineering, uh, moved on to a supervisory role within completions, again, still office based, um, but still, again, very, very clear when you're in that role, how important maintaining those relationships with the people in the field um, are, right? I mean, to to execute, to execute safely, to execute efficiently, Uh, moved on from completions uh, to a reserves role. So took over as manager of reserves engineering, which you know the the reserves part is probably the you know the least sexy of it, but you know those the secondary piece of managing reserves is the investor relations work that you do, uh, some of the M and A analysis that came w- with that role at the time, uh, and a lot of forecasting, a lot of forecasting, a lot of coordinating with our midstream counterparts. So at the time EQT had both a midstream company and the production company. So obviously on the production side uh, and, you know, all again, all that collaboration just speaks to, you know, building trust, you know, sharing information um, you know, aligning yourselves on strategy, which again, you just, you just see these patterns over and over again, all while fortunately, at least in my position, being able to learn different sides of the business and, and really seeing how it impacts the, the bottom line output, if you will, both both the literal numbers and even just the you know the the more flowery figurative language that might be used for investor relations purposes.
0: Did you see a lot of your colleagues, I guess, at the time? I mean, because it seems like you, like your your focus. I mean, it seems like each uh, I guess uh, position or, or role or whatever you want to call it in your career, you're identifying a couple key trends that are themes that I'm hearing. It's communication, it's trust, uh, and, and you're not saying it, but transparency. I'm seeing uh, between uh, teams and different roles and responsibilities. Is that just something that I guess, uh, I guess, how did you, how did you put that in your toolbox or how did you understand, I guess, the importance of that? um, uh, I guess the communication and the relationship side of uh, your role.
1: Well, I think for one, I was on the lookout for it because early in your career, you hear words like communication, trust, you hear it. And again, it becomes so cliched, right? I mean, it was almost, you know, every meeting, every safety meeting, it's the importance of communication. And, you know, again, you don't want to roll your eyes because it's true, but again, you risk losing meaning. So I think as I was going through, it's just, it's in your mind and you're saying, wait a sec, this isn't cliche, you know? So how do you, how do you harness that and make sure that, you know, especially when you move into a leadership position, you really empower people to build strong connections, strong relationships that are not surface level. um, Because that, you know, for, for the teams that I led for the teams that I work with, for the people I worked for, I mean, it comes down to relationships, which again, I mean, I almost, you know, so relationships again, it's just like, oh, that's very deep, but, but the thing is it is, and it's easy to to screw up. And, you know, part of what I do now is helping people avoid unconsciously screwing things up because
0: but that's, a, that's, I mean, that's very easy to do. <laughs> But that's the thing, I and mean, that's an excellent point. There's so many things out there. I mean, not just currently in today's market, but I mean previously, such as you said, you know, communication, you know, teamwork. Da, da. There's so many cliche. You know, what what, what is a couple right now? Uh, the new normal. Uh, be innovative. Like, you're right. It is. It gets very cliche after you hear it over and over. But I think that's. I think that's important. What you, what you're doing, what you're saying, is yes, it might be cliche, but there is a lot. there's cliche for a reason there's a lot of value into that. And so I kind of want to get, start getting into that aspect of the conversation right now on, 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 around 2019, your, uh, I guess, career uh, went to a, kind of a, a fork in the road, correct. And, um, and you actually pivoted and used the, all the communication skills. And talk to me about that. Talk to me about pivoting from the oil and the gas industry kind of in, into being a coach or a leadership coach for the oil and gas industry, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. So, you know, I guess you could say two years before the pivot, maybe two and a half years, EQT went through, or, or I should say began, uh, you know, two years of pretty uh pretty intense changes. Okay. So this is 2017. Uh I was leading at the time, it was a group that had uh Responsibilities for a lot of the operational planning. We had some, some functional roles that were somewhat land related. So permitting, uh, coal coordination. Again, we did a lot of the forecasting. So, you know, we we're in this, we were in this, this role where again we're we're really touching a lot of different elements of the company. And then along comes the acquisition of Rice Energy. So this was a I don't know, $6.7 billion acquisition that, as you can imagine, upends your. Uh, well, I shouldn't say upend, but I mean it upends your your strategy, your you know everything that you're doing. Exactly. I think you know the party line is that it complements it, it it enhances it. It definitely was a, a synergistic, uh, to throw out another buzzword, you know synergistic move. But the reality is, you're introducing new people, you're introducing new connections, you're introducing you know a company that was you know roughly 10 years old versus the company that EQT was, which was 130 years old. So, so, so you're,
0: you're, you're combining two very different cultures. Exactly. So okay.
1: you're doing all these things, which again on paper, operationally, you make things work. You you absorb them, you know, you learn, you take the best of but breed and all these other things. You know, you could do the same thing from a talent standpoint. But the reality is, you know, you still had two different cultures. And, you know, fortunately at that time, EQT had invested in me by getting a you know, traditional executive coach. So, you know, going through all of these massive changes at EQT, uh, going through even some changes in, you know, personal life and everything, this coach really kind of pulled all that together and, you know, really helped me control, you know, what I was in charge of. So the, you know, the 50 person team that I was leading at the time, having that coach sort of in, in my back pocket, if you will, to bounce ideas off of and have him challenge me was crucial okay. and, you know, set me and, and, quite frankly, set my team up for success over the following two years as we navigated, again, the integration of rice energy. Uh, and then about a year later, the uh, the overtaking of the former rice energy folks of eqt uh, in what was, again, you know, some would say, is probably one of the more interesting oil and gas stories, at least before all the the you know craziness of the pandemic. So you know I had this coaching framework. I knew it worked. I, I'd seen it in practice. Uh, there was another coach there, sort of internal coach. Uh, it was just one of the many hats she wore. But you know, she was there, heading closer to twenty nineteen. That I was able to kind of extract. All right, well, you know, what do you do? How do you do it? Uh, so I really began to see the value of this even before. Again, it became clear that my job was going to be coming to an end. So, so again, took a couple steps backwards there. But you know, I had exposure to coaching in a way that you know, I, I. If you told me what an executive coach was years prior to that, I, I would have said, well, I don't know well, what okay. you're talking about.
0: No, what is an executive coach?
1: How about that? Sure. so an executive coach, at least in my definition, is a person who is able to extract the say optimal performance from someone
0: else and typically they're doing it in a business setting well how 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 is that done? How is that done how do you how do you extract the optimal performance from someone or or how do you uh, uh dial in so t- tell me about your 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 role right now because i'm I'm very interested in this because, a lot of reasons the leadership or communication I, i'm very interested in this so tell me about kind of your role how do you extract this uh i guess the, uh, the the value the the efficiencies of people
1: sure so assuming you have some foundation of trust which obviously just like you know a coach in a sporting uh you know situation you know you're if you don't have the trust of your players you know you're not going to get top performance so i mean that's the first thing if you have some level of of trust from the person you're working with you know that is undoubtedly uh, a prerequisite, you know, okay. say, actually, I mean, that's one of the, say, three prerequisites that I have in, in working with folks is, you know, you have to have some trust that this might work. Maybe not that it will work, but, you know, that it might work. Um, so going from there, the way to actually extract it is first and foremost, asking questions. So, I mean, JP, just like you do on this podcast and we're doing here, you know, asking questions to understand what that person is trying to accomplish. Okay. and um, you know, again, that sounds pretty rudimentary, but it's funny when you start digging into it, you know, typically what the person is trying to accomplish is not, you know, say, say there's somebody in a C-suite, obviously they can rattle off metrics and they can rattle off stock prices and they can rattle off, you know, growth targets and they can rattle off survival, if you will, and, you know, this day and age, but the reality, there's usually something deeper. And once you get into that, then you start discovering what it is that's actually holding them back. And again, typically It's not the things that, you know, their existing resources are are really helping them through. So it's, you know, it's this peeling back of the onion, it's asking questions and it's uncovering, all right, what do you really want to accomplish and what's missing, what's holding you back and then going from there and coming up with a plan on how to do it. But the the fun thing is for me, and again, I didn't, I didn't have an appreciation for maybe the nuts and bolts of how this gets done until I started doing it the fun thing is, you know, you're not serving necessarily as an advisor. Um, And this comes across a lot in, you know, if I'm coaching people from a career standpoint and, you know, they're looking for something new, I'm not there telling you what to do. Uh, You know, I'm, I work with a lot of smart people and they know the answers most of the time, or, or they have an idea of where to find them. And I'm just poking and prodding and helping them figure out what that plan is, what path they're going to go down and then holding them accountable. So Again, I mean, I just rattled off sort of along with an answer, but it's pretty simple. It's, you know, discovering what they need to do, clarifying what they need to do, uh, unpacking things to come up with some strategy that for the most part is their strategy and then holding them accountable and doing that in a very sort of fluid way that, that adapts to, you know, especially in the oil and gas industry, you know, the fact that things are constantly changing.
0: Well, how do you, how does an executive coach uh, measure, I guess, their, um, because I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not familiar. I've seen, I've seen executive coach. I've seen, you know career, you know, guys, I'm not familiar with, how how does uh, an executive coach measure their, I guess, uh, success or results?
1: So an executive coach measuring results is typically from the stakeholders of the person coaching. So, you know, in a business environment, that's typically fairly easy. You know, you hear about 360 degree feedbacks and, you know, there's all, there's all different versions of it. You know, I have one that that's kind of rooted in, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, how well is that person helping themselves grow, protect, and sustain their success. And then on the flip side, how well is the person I'm coaching, you know, growing, sustaining, and protecting the success of their stakeholders. And, you know, those are really six kind of, you know, cut and dry things. And you say, Hey, look, you know, if this is, if this is where things stood when we started, and this is things where, you know, where things are now, then you could you know you could see if improvement has been made and you know again whether it's attributable to to coaching or not uh quite frankly it doesn't matter because you know the individual tends to tends to know uh whether those you know sometimes unquantifiable things are you know are are worth it if you will um which is again speaking as an engineer speaking in an industry where you know things are are as black and white as possible I spend a lot of time with people trying to quantify the unquantifiable and, and that can be one of the the trickiest things when you're looking at, you know, the ROI, if you will, of, of an investment like this. But, yeah. you know, it's also, you know, as, as a lot of people would say, you know, it's one of those things you kind of know it when you see it or, you know, it when you feel it, if you will. Are you,
0: I mean, so executive coach, I mean, so who would be if, if, uh, is it just strictly executives or, I mean, could, is this, or, or, or would you advise having a coach for kind of, if people are, I mean, where would you advise people getting a coach? So I'm cautious to go out and just advise
1: people to go get a coach because, uh, you know, I'd say that probably the coaching industry is expanding faster than about, you know, just about anything else you can imagine. So there's no shortage of people out there that are willing to help coach you on anything from, you know, your your love life, your marriage to obviously your, you know, your your tennis or golf game or um, or, or certainly from a business standpoint. So, um, you know, I'm hesitant to just say, well, go out and get a coach. But the reality is, JP, yeah, everyone can can benefit to some degree from coaching and you know uh,
0: you know you know, it, you know that, that's, that's, like, that's like people saying they only go to the only go to uh, uh relationship counselors once once it's doom and gloom in their in their and in their, in their marriage or relationship when in reality it benefits even when things are going good
1: yeah and, and that's the funny thing too you know you say and I guess I, I kind of maybe ignored your question a little bit and you know I said well what is an executive you know, a lot of, a lot of people well, yeah <laughs> Well, as a coach, that's probably the the, the biggest uh, red flag if you have somebody that doesn't want to listen. But, but no, going back to your question, you know, what is an executive coach? Well, all of those different things I just mentioned in many ways can be wrapped up in executive coaching because, as I describe it, it's more of an executive mindset. And okay. what does that mean? Well, it means that you know you have responsibility for much more than just you know, you and your business, you have responsibility for stakeholders, you know, second, third, fourth degree stakeholders, going back to your earlier comment about, you know, the community and, you know, you, you have some, some say in how your organization interacts with the community. If you happen to be in, you know, a a leader within oil and gas. So it's this executive mindset that, you know, if, you know, if you're a, if you're a, you know, stay-at-home mom or dad, it's the same thing, right? You're you're running a household, you have all these different stakeholders, you, you know, you almost have a finance department, you know, you have a perhaps a child care department, you have a yeah. landscaping department, you have all these different things. And, you know, what does that make you? It's an executive in many ways. And just like you said, having somebody before you need it to figure out where your pain points are, to not have to wait. Um, you know, to not just simply tell you to, well, sign up for this class. And if you go through this, or you read this book, you know, you're, you're going to figure this out. No, like you want to be able to pick up the phone and have a 15 minute conversation with yeah. somebody that's going to ask the right questions. That's going to, you know, poke and prod you. That's going to get you to figure out what exactly you need to do and then hold you accountable. And, you know, that's what a coach is. Um, a coach isn't just directing traffic necessarily. You know, a coach is sitting right there alongside you and helping you, you know, maybe weave in and out of traffic or or help you figure out what's on the horizon. And, you know, again, so you know, I don't want to downplay the the distinction between a traditional executive coach and, Again, a relationship coach, or a uh, you know a life coach, or a you know again a golf coach. But the reality is, there's there's a lot of overlap there, and you know a lot of the hats that I wear, even under the guise of either career coaching or executive coaching, they overlap with relationship coaching and right. you know, coaching, and you know and all these things that I'm not an expert in. But again, I'm able to help extract the insights that people have within themselves to. You know, make a difference to perform better and to, you know, again avoid screwing things up and, and taking ten steps backwards when it's completely avoidable.
0: Well, it's just I mean it is relationship I mean I I, I can kind of see the the similarities between that and relationship coach because you need communication, you need trust, you need a goal. Um, I, so I, I I do appreciate that. It's it sounds like it's tailored. It sounds like it's it's really something to to ping off a, a soundboard. What are you seeing? What 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 trends are you seeing? I guess. Uh, Let's talk about since March until today. Uh, we're, we're doing this uh, in January, uh, January 11th. What trends are you seeing right now? with, I guess some of your uh, clients or some questions you're getting or some common themes that you're getting and what are you telling these people?
1: Sure. So, I mean, probably the most common question is, you know, are things as bad out there as as they seem?
0: That's a good uh, yeah. And And Perfect. again,
1: from a, you know, from a metric standpoint, you know, we all hear these anecdotes, uh, you know, speaking with either directly with hiring managers or or people that have some insights at companies, you know, hundreds of applications for a single position. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that's the first question is, you know, are things really that bad? And, and again, I mean, usually the first question is, well, well, what do you mean? I mean, if your only measure is, you know, are there, you know, what what's the ratio of jobs to, you know, job seekers? Yeah, yeah it's bad, but you know, what, what are you after? Right. Because you know, my, my guess is that, you know, for these career seekers, you know, if, if you're a, a reservoir engineer, you know, you, you, that's probably not your, your only goal in life is to get the next reservoir engineering position. Okay. And you know, that starts the conversation, right? I mean, that's, that sometimes that's enough for them to say, huh, you know, well, well okay, well, what else, you know, tell me the more. Aha, the aha moment where
0: people start thinking outside the box that outside their uh, predicted uh, career trajectory.
1: That's it. and and again, I mean we can we can come back to my own path, and it was, you know it wasn't just a matter of trying to find something that replicated what I had been doing, you know, in my prior life. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, again, I had resources to talk to about that to figure out that, yeah, that would have been short-sighted. That might have been where I wound up. I mean, I might have put all my eggs back in, you know doing something similar. Uh, you know my last role there was, uh, was you know leading a data governance and analytics group. I loved it. You know, there was a time, you know, leading that group, I thought this is this is it, this is the trajectory. You know, the 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 sexiest new C-suite title was uh, you know, chief data officer. I could oh, see yeah. myself there in you know 10 years. And it was just like, this is it. And then, you know, in a matter of what was probably, you know, a couple of weeks, I was like, actually, no, no, that, yeah, that sounded cool, but there's there's more to it than that. And you know, helping people get to that point is I mean, selfishly. I love it. It's great. I enjoy it. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I could see sometimes the, the visceral reaction when people start to set aside some of the logical, but potentially short-sighted metrics, uh, in terms of, again, is, you know, are things going to be okay?
0: Yeah. So, so you, so the trends are, are. you seeing people that are that are coming to you, um, uh, potentially about a new role in oil and gas? You see people come to you about potentially pivoting out of oil and gas. And if so, I mean, can you talk to me about? Uh, can you talk to me about uh, people uh, that I guess that you're interacting with that are entertaining the idea or pursuing to transition out of the oil and gas industry?
1: Sure. So I think I mean right there that is probably the most common situation of I mean sort of both of what you just said. It's it's people first and foremost trying to decide do i pivot out of oil and gas or do i stay which again typically the first step is saying well that let's you know that, that's a that's an awfully binary choice to be making um and it might not be necessary so uh so that's that's common and you know then typically it's again coming back to all right well what is what is the ultimate goal and i, I don't even want to say goal sometimes because goals can can give sort of an intermediate sense What's bigger than that? You know, what are your core values? What are your, you know, what, what's driving you? What, you know, what are your passions? What's important? And, and again, some of those things sound kind of, kind of, you know, woo woo for, for especially a lot of people in oil and gas, um, which is why one, I think it helps that I I focus exclusively on people in the energy industry. So at least if I'm spouting some woo woo things as, you know, an oil and gas engineer, they, you know, they well, at least,
0: not at be least so dismissive of know it. Know so. At least you know they're woo woo and then you can speak to them.
1: Well, that's it, and you can do it in sort of a lighthearted way, but yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you, you also, you know, maybe kind of got to grab them a little bit and say, "All right, we're going to get there. We're, we're going to, you know, the the answer to whether you need to pivot or whether you should put all your eggs in trying to stay in oil and gas, you know, we'll get there. But you know, that that's a couple steps down the road, and you know, you got to build a stronger foundation to you know build off of that because guess what, you might find a great job in oil and gas, and as we all know. It could be gone in six or twelve months, and yeah. you know you do this homework up front, and it doesn't have to be onerous. Um, and again, this is where you know sometimes the distinction between the one-on-one coaching versus just sending somebody through a program and checking the box, or even worst case, just you know having somebody scroll through on their own, you know, through LinkedIn, you know, four hours a day, and and looking yep. at either jobs or uh, these you know positive sounding comments and self you know, affirmations and all these other things, you know, you can cut through all that crap and accelerate the process and get some clarity and then start moving and taking some, you know, some actionable steps to, you know, to move forward.
0: So what, I guess I actually, I was going to ask a question on, I guess, um, uh, if someone, I guess, what would be the, the top, I guess, main points of, if you would advise someone to transition out versus if, you advise people to stay in the oil and gas, but it sounds to me that's very catered and it's very specific to everyone's individual, I guess, not just goals, but as you said, um, your drive, your passion, uh, what do you want to get up and do every day? So I guess, so I guess it's, a, it's an individual, um, it's an individual, I guess, uh, a metric on a, what you advise someone.
1: Absolutely. And, and again, I, you know, there's some, some structure, some foundations, some frameworks that, you know, I have that, are specific to oil and gas that, you know, they lean on, on, you know, sort of the oil and gas life cycle. In fact, just to, to put things in, in context uh, and in a framework that people are used to. So, you know, there is this, you know, exploration phase that happens at the, you know, that even an unconventional energy, right. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you need to explore and figure out, you're going to put a wind farm, you know, in in XYZ location. So, you know, you do that exploration phase, you step through, you figure out a, a strategy on how to develop it. And then again, you start being able to produce results and you have a way to measure those results and make sure you're still on track. And then once you have that, you got to transmit it, right? You got, you got to get it into the hands of your stakeholders and the people that matter. And and to the extent you're, you know, in a career transition that is communicating, obviously either resume or cover letters, but you know, more importantly, conversations back and forth. And, you know, you, you get your, what you've produced, you've, you get the things you've developed in your career and you get them into the hands of the people that need it so that, you know, it gets delivered to your stakeholders, to your end users. And, you know, that cycle can be repeated over and over again, but it's nice to step through that and, you know, do it with an individual so that, you know, they can go back and they can do that same process again without necessarily having to, you know, pick up the phone and, and give right. somebody a call. So, you know, again, that's, that's part of the distinction of coaching is this sort of, you know, as you, as you said, right. It's this one-on-one catered, um, you know, uh, I'm gonna say buddy, but you know, partner. This this conscious, yeah. committed partner that has your best interest in mind and
0: is career guidance. Has your conversations uh, uh, changed uh, from a as a coach from a year ago to uh, today? How have they changed and how?
1: Absolutely. So when I first set out, again, this was the end of 2019. Um, you know, I thought I would be spending a lot more of my time on you know corporate sponsored. Engagements, and you know that's still certainly the the more conventional executive coaching route. But you know, you get into obviously early 2020, and things happen. Those conversations, one, they started shifting to more career oriented conversations. But two, I found myself spending a lot more time trying to get people to stop thinking in terms of you know absolutes and blacks and you know blacks and whites, if you will. It's tough these days. Exactly, and you know, but you know, getting into this sort of Probabilistic mindset, if you will, uh, has been huge, and I've spent a lot of time, you know, especially from I'd say the middle of 2020 on, really getting people to to stop and think. Look, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, the going back to the question: Do I stay in the oil oil and gas industry or not? You know, you can make a decision. You can make the most informed decision possible, and it could still turn out to be catastrophic and and on paper the wrong one. So, right. getting that out of your head and saying, look, it's a statistical play, if you will you know, what's most likely to get you to, you know, some level of fulfillment and purpose and, and, you know, checking the boxes on all those core values. Let's think in those terms, not these black and white, you know, should I do X or Y? Should I apply for this job or that job? You know, should I put this as the header on my resume or this? And it's just like, well, you know, again, what what do you think is more likely to, to move forward to, to, you know, have an impact and get you what you want? You make that decision and you move on. You know that you know, you're know you going to make wrong decisions, but the more decisions you make, if you're halfway as intelligent and you're leaning on the right resources, you know, you're going to come out okay in the end, but you know, you get into 2020 and, and you get concerned and again, it, it makes sense, right? Yes. It's, you know, yes. it's, it's a logical thing, especially, you know, working with a lot of technical people to, to think in terms of strictly black and white, but that's one of the things that could really hold people back. And, you know, that's one of the things, you know, probably the word I hear the most right now is stuck. And people come and say, I'm yeah. stuck. Yeah. Okay, well, why are you stuck? And, and again, a lot of times it's because there are these, these binary decisions they think they have to make and they have to get right. And, and very often that's not the case.
0: So that, I mean, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't see that there'd be a huge benefit to to, uh, to utilize someone like yourself to just kind of get that outside perspective that, you know, that, uh, that neutral perspective that versus, you know, because we, we are so bogged down in a this or that you know, uh, black, white, one, zero. As you said, the binary, a uh, decision making. I think that's great to get that. I guess that third party, kind of at distance, but you know, still on your same team. Coach, as you know, coach, perfect title uh, to kind of uh, look at things differently. Look at things from the thirty thousand foot view versus you know everything on LinkedIn. This, this, you know, this, 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 this muddy, murky path everyone's trying to walk through. I think that's great to have a coach to kind of elevate you on the on this on the new perception, which. I think it's kind of I think would be refreshing for a lot of people to have. And uh and as an executive coach, you don't have to be an executive to utilize a, a coach, do you? No, no, like I said earlier, it's
1: it's this executive mindset that carries over regardless of where you are, you know, in your organization, or you know, if, if you don't know, work with people that start their own companies, right? And you know, they're they and give themselves whatever title they want, but if, you know, but again at the end of the day. They are an executive. They have to have that mindset. And it's 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 not much different. In fact, I mean, I would argue it's not any different whether I'm talking again with somebody at the highest rung of a company or you know, a junior engineer or somebody that's still in school. That's that's I mean, everybody's trying to figure out how to get from A to B in the best way possible. And, you know, like I said, the coaching itself, it's not a big mystery, you know, it's not complicated. That's the big secret, right? You know, you don't have to be an expert in a particular field in order to be a good coach and an effective coach in that field. However, at least, you know, one of the things that, that I think I bring to the table is the fact that I can at least ask better questions and typically can do it in a more efficient way, um, to, to move things along because of that understanding. But again, for the most part, ask your friends, ask your family, make them ask the dumb questions because it's right. the dumb questions that, you know, very often again, can, can knock people off their pedestal and say, oh man, that. Yeah, what you know, what was I thinking? That was that was not yeah, I'm totally off base here. So um, you know, leverage ask, those resources ask, that you have. Questions,
0: don't be defensive and get ready for honest feedback, pretty much. What is, you 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 did an interesting post on uh LinkedIn, you talked about uh the GPS. is the GPS mindset. Uh it's growth. Um, what was it? Is it growth, protect, and sustain? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So and, and you said it you know, again, we're talking about these cliche things. Can you talk about the GPS mindset, I guess, right now in 2021 and um, how, I guess, uh, what your thoughts, I guess, uh, the application of it?
1: Sure. So I think in general, the idea with this GPS mindset using certainly a driving analogy or MWD analogy, if you're steering a well, is that you know we've all gotten to some level of success in our lives with some... You know, resources with some, right. you know, things we were born with, uh, external resources, people we've leaned on, things we've, you know, tools we've we've brought in to use, uh, and you know, again, it could be rather cliche to say as as one sort of a famous executive coach, Marshall Goldsmith, uh, says, and you know, as one of his top selling books was, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So again, that that's a concept I think we all understand, but the problem is when you're actually behind the wheel and you're driving along you know, it's easy to forget that, you know, you've you've plugged something into your GPS, you know, this is what what I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to retire at, you know, 62. And I'm going to be again, whatever, I'm going to be a senior geologist, and I'm going to do all that, you know, you have all these things, you plug it in, and you're just driving along.
0: Or or it's like, I'm successful, because I've done XYZ in the past. And that's what I'm gonna do in the future.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So all those things can contribute to driving blindly, if you will, or, or again, drilling a well blindly, which can be catastrophic. Mm. And so, you know, you want a a GPS that isn't just there on your dashboard with some destination that you plugged in that, you know, may or may not help you reroute as needed, but you want something or someone that's there to help you continue growing, you know, continue protecting what's worth protecting because the reality is not everything's worth protecting. So like you said, JP, you know, I did this in my former life. I succeeded this. Well, guess what? Protecting those titles and, and protecting some elements of your legacy might not be worth it but you see a lot of people who again whether they're in a, an executive position within a company or they're going through a career transition they're trying to protect things that aren't worth protecting so you want to figure out what's worth protecting and then figure out the best way to do it and then ultimately the s yes there in the the gps is sustain so you know it's one thing to you know succeed on some of your short-term goals it's one thing to you know to move forward to have success you know to to figure out what you want to hold on to but the reality is that again as 2020 showed us that's not always sustainable. In fact, in many cases, we're doing things that are unsustainable. So there's a health and wellness component to that, obviously, but, you know, coming back to just companies that are trying to stay solvent, right. You know, they're doing things that, that could make sense, but it's not sustainable. Just, you know, again, go back to oil field cliches, you know, growth for growth's sake is, and, and will continue to be unsustainable. And, you know, that's the same thing that could happen in our own lives. Right. Which is why, you know, I, I, I talk about peak performance because it's nice and alliterative, but the reality is it's, you know, sustainable performance. It's optimal performance because peak performance, just like with a well, right? I mean, you can pull on it as hard as possible and, you know, get a, get a heck of an IP on a well and then, you know, damage the thing and it never gets, you know, never reaches its full potential. It's the same thing. But if you, if you're listening to people, advisors formally or informally, or you're, you know, you're relying, like you said, on, you know, your, your prior experiences, that GPS sitting on your dashboard is very likely not going to steer you to, you know, what your ultimate destination is, or, or certainly what what it should be.
0: Right, where you want to be, Joe. That's a that's just a great message. And and uh, do you have anything that I, that I'm not bringing up? A message that you like to communicate to the listeners out there?
1: No, I think the you know the that stepping back and trying not to look at things from a binary standpoint again is one of the things I'd love to emphasize because you know I see it, I see it in our personal lives, right? I mean, you know, you're. You're, you're making small decisions each and every day. And, you know, one analogy I use a lot, right? It's, it's, you know, well, what do I want to have for, for dinner? Or, if, you know, if, if you can find a restaurant that's open and you go out to eat and you look at the menu and you say, oh, you know, I want the, I don't know, big ziti instead of the the you know, chicken parm and big ziti comes out and oh, it's horrible. Well, you don't kick yourself for making a bad decision. You know, you, you work with the information you had. And I just, I cannot emphasize enough how often people are beating themselves up because they feel like they made a wrong decision, even though. You know, it it was, it was as well-informed as it could have been. So, uh, so that's, again, it's, it's something we already talked about it. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but um, that is by and large, the thing that, you know, people are are, struggle with and, and really leaves them kind of stuck in a rut or, or again, stuck on the side of the road with, you know, maybe a fully functional GPS, but it doesn't do them any good if they're, if they're in a ditch there and, and, you know, they need to be hauled out of there.
0: Joe, I, I think that's a, such a great point. I mean, I, I think if that, that, and I'm thinking about this, I mean, you're talking, I'm thinking about that whole binary mindset, you know, it's like, Oh, if I don't do this and this, if I don't do this, that that leads to so much anxiety that leads to so much stress, unnecessary stress, because you're right. It's either a sink or swim or win defeat. Oh, it, it's such a dangerous mindset to get into because that just bleeds out to every relationship, every decision in your life. So I like that. I like that message of don't think everything is binary. Uh, there, there's more to it. There's, there, there, there's areas of gray that, that is just fine too. And that's probably, and it might not be a bad idea to venture down those areas of gray too. Yeah, so. sure.
1: And, and, and again, it helps if you're, you know, sitting in Pittsburgh or somewhere in Texas on a nice gray day. And, you know, like we said earlier, right. You, t- you can turn some of that potential doom and gloom into something that's, uh, that's better. And, and that's where too, I, as an offshoot to that, I'd say JP is, you know, if you're in a position where you need to make these decisions or you're under stress or you're leading a team, or again, you're in career transition, uh, this mindset is key. But, you know, for people that are constantly looking how to help other people, that's the one thing I also advise is, is look for signs of that in other people, you know? So, you know, people are always wondering, well, how can I help? What can I do? Be on guard, be on guard for people that say, Oh, you know, you can help me do X, Y, Z. And, you know, Maybe X Y Z isn't what's going to help that person. Just try to try to get them to you know open up a little bit about where they need to go. You don't need to be a professional coach to ask good questions and, and help people uncover right. where again they're they're focusing on the wrong decisions and, and focusing their energy uh, in in the wrong place sometimes.
0: Well, I think that's an excellent point, Joe. Let's get anything else uh, anything else to add or uh, anything like that. I think we can uh, kind of wrap it up now. I appreciate you coming on. I think your message is a great message right now because you're right there's a lot of doom and gloom there's a lot of binary decisions there's a lot of this or that um and a lot of times people don't want to ask questions right now because they feel like they might be sticking their head up out of the sand and now it's not the time to do that um but again these are great questions and 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 and, uh, just great i guess mental state to be in or, or these reflective questions to ask you know what does drive you? Where do you want to be? I mean, so I appreciate you coming on, and everyone listening. This is a uh, uh, Joe Sinet. Uh, the uh, the I got your name right, Sinet. Close enough, uh, Sinet. I've been called <laughs> as you can
1: imagine. I've uh, living in Southern Louisiana for a couple of years. Cinnett. Joe Sinou was uh, was Cinnett. not. A- I
0: was, was going to say oh. an old field. Sinet,
1: Sinet, whatever you want, whatever you want to go with there,
0: I apologize. Anyway, so this is uh, this is Joe. Uh, uh sinette from uh the exec i probably messed that up again the executive coach uh an executive coach of oil and gas industry and the founder of a uh, winning partners and joe i appreciate you coming on and again if everyone needs to uh, reach out to him um uh you can find him on um uh, linkedin um shoot him a message uh drop him a note uh even if you just want kind of want to pick his brain on something or just just introduce yourself uh highly advise it and i appreciate it and uh joe we'll see you around buddy
1: all right jp thank you very much take care
0: take care